Welcome to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book, with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. Hey, my name is Mina Stone, and I'm the author of Lemon, Love, and Olive Oil. Before diving into this book, I'd like to thank my new sponsor, Bloomist. Bloomist creates and curates simple, sustainable products that inspire you to design a calm, natural refuge at home. I'm excited to announce they've just introduced a new tabletop and kitchen collection that's truly stunning. Surround yourself with beautiful elements of nature when you're cooking, dining, and entertaining and make nature home. Visit bloomist.com and use the code COOKERY20 to get 20% off your first purchase or click the link in the show notes. Now on with the show. This is the follow-up to Cooking for Artists where you tap into your Greek heritage In this deeply personal cookbook, you celebrate the cultural Greek-American legacy that has shaped your life and career. How is this cookbook also a journal? Both of the cookbooks I think of as a journal. So it's almost like part one, part two, and the third cookbook, you know, might be part three. Cooking for Artists, my first cookbook, it was really a cookbook that documented a certain period of my life where I was cooking for artists really full time. And that was my world. That was how I got started as a chef. And those recipes documented that period of time. As I moved into what I would describe as more of my own thing, which was opening the restaurant at PS1. So the second book, similar to the first, is really an exploration of a period of time and what I was going through and living. So that leads me to what your dad wrote in the introduction, which is like the most heartfelt, incredible thing. How supportive is he? He's the best. He really is the best. And he is such an integral part of this cookbook. He's a psychologist and he's also a translator of Greek poetry and a poet himself. And He also has a degree in creative writing. I was lucky enough to have two editors for this book. One was Julie Will, who was with Harper Wave, and the other one was my dad, who really read this book over and over again and worked on it with me from start to finish. Well, in that intro, he wrote, for you, everything is about relationships. I really like to think about the relationship I have with the people eating my food, whether I know them or not. And I like to sort of try and even even spiritually tap into what I think people would like to eat. And I think that's what my dad was talking about. Lemon, love, and olive oil. Tell me about the title. The title is basically the three ingredients I use the most. The original title was lemon, salt, and olive oil, because those three ingredients you will find in all of like almost everything I cook. And I knew that's what I wanted to name the book right from the beginning. And then when me and Urs were talking about it, we were talking a lot about that other element to what makes food 
taste good. And I think that it's something that is verbalized a lot by cooks, home cooks and chefs and grandmas, where you're infusing this other ingredient called love. And that's what makes things taste better, no matter what you're cooking and no matter what your ingredients are like. And I find this to be really true. And I wrote about it in my intro where my friend's mother, you know, she came from Greece. She went to the key foods. She just got, you know, mediocre produce at best. She was cooking for her daughter and I don't know what, it was just tasted so delicious. I don't know how she did it. And it tasted so Greek. And I sat there and I thought about it forever because I've had this experience with my grandma and my mother and the people that you feel like love you or cooking food in a certain way. And it tastes elevated in a way you can't put your finger on. But when you think about it, I think that's what it is. And so we replaced salt with love. And there was also a running joke at the studio when I cooked there that when I made things really salty, it was because I was in love or if I under seasoned something, it was like, oh, Mina's not feeling great these days. So there's a whole backstory behind salt and love and those two things together. For many consumers, the word feta is a generic term for white crumbly cheese aged in brine. But feta actually originated in Greece. Um, So in your Georgian-inspired Greek salad with herbs on page 57, feta adds such a nice salty, speaking of salt, layer to this salad. Can you describe this recipe? Well, first of all, before I describe the recipe, I do think that if you make the transition to good feta, it will change your life. I spent three weeks in Moscow and there is a large Georgian population in Russia. And so there's a lot of Georgian restaurants and my mother's Greek side of the family, my grandma, my great grandma originated from Georgia, from an area called Fatum. And I had a lot of curiosity about trying Georgian food, which I hadn't really ever done. And I remember a little Georgian cafe would serve this Greek salad. And it was basically a Greek salad with the salty cheese. And the difference was, was that they showered this Greek salad with all these herbs. And I just had never crossed my mind that you could do this with a Greek salad. And having that variety in the Greek salad and that uh, fragrant leafy addition, it's just so good. Would you say a great salad holds your interest with different flavors and textures? And I think this salad is a great example of that. Yes, I love salad and I find I always approach it the same way, which is kind of, I mean, even the Georgian salad could maybe be a little exception, but I think it has to be bright, tart, salty. And I like when there is something crunchy in there and maybe something soft or crispy. And I like the balance of sweet and sour and salty in a salad. I think the Georgian inspired salad, you know, the herbs kind of replace one element, but then you do have the salty and the olives and the capers have this kind of textural thing. And then the tomatoes are soft and the herbs are herbaceous. And so you have all these different elements going on in that salad. In March, 2020, the unthinkable happened. Your restaurant Mina's at MoMA PS1, the Museum of Modern Art outpost in Queens, shut its doors during the pandemic lockdown. I'd love to hear about how that is going. Right now, it's actually going really well. Thank God. It was a really hard time. I know how many people can relate. I think maybe 
every restaurant tour learned about the strengths and weaknesses that is inherent to a restaurant. But at this moment, I think to have, you know, really worked with the museum on a solution to keep it alive was one of the most rewarding things. And in a weird silver lining, I would have never been able to get my cookbook down had the restaurant been open full time. Another recipe I made out of this cookbook was your Santorini dogs on page 87 that you served at PS1 Warm Up, which was the summer outdoor music series. Can you tell the story of these hot dogs? I love that you made them, first of all, because I put the recipe in the book because I was like, okay, this like I, I err towards sort of like healthy and fresh. And then the Santorini dog to me is like when you're craving sort of street food, but in your home, this is the recipe in the book for it. It is completely not my invention. It is my husband's invention, Alex. He is always the best at incorporating and making like the most delicious street style food. And we were talking about it because what we really wanted to do was make a souvlaki or a gyro type of thing. And then Alex was like, oh, why don't we try it with a hot dog? And we did. So we got these amazing hot dogs and cooked them, made tzatziki, basically put all the toppings that you would put into a rolled gyro in Greece. And it's just its own thing. Nostalgia, a sentimental longing for the last ones. From the Greek word nostos to return home and algos for pain. What does nostalgia mean to you? I think that I explored it a lot in the book because I think food is something that can make you really nostalgic from the smells to what what my mother made or my father made or my family or, or memories you have of traveling or the country you grew up in or you've left behind. And I was always surrounded by that. I was surrounded by that experience. So in the US, I think I grew up with the experience of my mom longing for home and food was a part of that. And then when we would go to Greece, it was being able to live at present time. And I almost knew that when we went back to the States, this was the thing that we would miss the most. So I think that, you know, food is the carrier oil for nostalgia. Recently, something I was thinking a lot about and and something that an artist I interviewed told me, an Iraqi artist, It was almost interesting to hear him talk about how nostalgia didn't really serve him, that what nostalgia is, is a longing for something that doesn't really exist anymore. And that really stayed with me because that was putting into words something that's that's true. It doesn't exist anymore. And that's why you have the nostalgia for it. So being aware of that and the fact that you can recreate it in present time. Your idea of nostalgia and maybe approach it differently is something I've thought a lot about because nostalgia can be something really beautiful and it can also be something, I guess that can make you kind of stuck. In the book, you have a section called grocery shopping where you talk about the bodega. I adore my bodega here in the West Village. It's called Andy's and they make the best bacon, egg and cheese. I have a relationship with the guys. I love them. I was worried about them during the lockdown. And I'd love to hear about your bodega. Well, yeah, my bodega is up the street and it's called Green Farm. And I go in there with my son. I go there in there with my stepdaughter that I wrote about and she would always go in there by herself. And at, at some point I... <laughs> 
I was like, God, I feel really exposed. Like my local bodega sees me at every different moments of my life with my family. Like, you know, sometimes we're happy. Sometimes we're maybe we're fighting, you know, they're really close. (laughs) And (laughs) I've seen my kids grow up. Like it's crazy. And um, it's almost like you're psychologist in a way. You have all these different forms of therapy in your life. And I think the bodega is one of them. It's like, you don't necessarily dive into your life outside of that little area, but you have something more with that person because I go there all the time because my stepdaughter goes there all the time to get lunch, or I go there all the time because in New York city, it's true. It's like, sometimes grocery shopping is not a precious experience. Sometimes it's like, I need the head of cabbage wrapped in plastic from my bodega. I need to go get it. And that's a whole other relationship. It's it's basically what makes New York City beautiful is that there's all these different experiences in the city packed into one. So I also made a third recipe out of the cookbook, which is the national dish of Greece called fasolata. Is that how you pronounce it? Fasolata. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Close. <laughs> You know what I like to do? I like to pronounce it the the Greek way, the proper way. And then I like to pronounce it how like you should pronounce it in America with no. So I guess you could say fasolada, fasolada. Yeah, that's what I thought. And then how's the traditional Greek way? Fasolada. That's the traditional Greek white bean stew. Can you describe this dish? It is a really good example of very simple cooking that is, it's also very healthy and delicious. It is a stew of white beans and you put carrots and celery and you can put canned tomatoes in there, but more often than not, I just make it, you put whole tomatoes in it until they cook down and you have a really light tomato broth with a thick tomato broth with the white beans and the carrots and the celery. And you can top it with a bunch of parsley and olive oil and have a slab of feta and some olives on the side and it's perfect. Now to my segment called Dream Dinner Party, where I ask you who you most want to invite to your dream dinner party and why. And for this segment, it can only be one person. I always tell Alex that if there's one person in this world I would leave him for, it's Matt Damon. And I would choose to have dinner with Matt Damon because (laughs) I would get him all to myself and it would kind of be like a date. And I love the guy. He's my only celebrity crush. What would you make him? Um, I don't know. I think Santorini dogs. Yeah. A full Greek meal. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I would, I would, I would try and class it up. Not street food, something more like very beautiful. And um, how about the Georgian Greek salad? How about that? And the lemon olive oil cake and, um, Yeah, really give them like a a tour of Greece. Where can we find you on the web and social media? My Instagram is Mina Stone. Very easy. The restaurant is minas.nyc on Instagram. You can go to my website, minastone.com. I think that's it. To purchase lemon, love, and olive oil and support the podcast, head on over to cookerybythebook.com. And thanks, Mina, for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Thank you, Susie. Thanks a lot. Follow Cookery by the Book on Instagram. And thanks for listening to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book.